Heavenly Father, we come before you and we stand before you and we plead before you and we ask you, O Majesty, to speak to our hearts this morning. For we believe that you are the God who speaks. We believe that the word has power to enlighten us, to penetrate the inmost being of our soul. And uh, we pray this morning that may we not be dull in hearing, may we not be distracted in our minds, may we not let the world interrupt our hearing of the word of God. And we ask you, O Lord of the heavens and the earth, the one who has power to change our lives, the one who speaks to us through your word. And we are so grateful to you for the gift of your scripture you have given to us to direct our lives. We are not left to our own feelings and emotions and thoughts to live our life. You have given us your word. It is only through your word that we can know your will and live according to your will. And we pray that you please to keep our ears fully attentive through your word. Keep our minds fully focused. Keep our hearts fully devoted and obedient to your word. And we believe that you will bring great change in us through this message. And we pray that you glorify your name and exalt the authority of your word. We pray that to you alone be all glory, honor, and praise. In the name of our beloved Savior, we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. And uh, <clears throat> this week we will be finishing chapter 6. And God willing, we will get into chapter 7 the next week. And the title that I have given to... The sermon today, as it is plain before you, Perseverance of the Saints. Perseverance of the Saints. I think we all know, I remember when I was a child attending school, although I was not a very diligent student, a very poor student, if there is one story that I can remember from my student experience until now, is the story of the rabbit and tortoise. We all know that, right? We know that how the arrogant uh, rabbit was bragging about how fast he can run. And he was simulating the tortoise that is very slow and uh, cannot run fast and mocking. Can you go anywhere with this slow kind of walking that you do? And then there was a bet between them that who will win the race? Appreciate the tortoise for having that courage to bet with rabbit. Although it's a fable, there is a great moral lesson in that story. And we all know the story. The race began and the rabbit ran swiftly ahead. And as, as it was very near to the finishing line, it thought that, oh, I don't have any hope that the tortoise can make up. It may take ages for tortoise to come and reach the finishing line. What I would do is, I will sit under the shade of the tree and just relax and have a great nap and then I will wake up and still the tortoise will be far behind and I will simply finish the race. 
And as the rabbit was in deep sleep, we know how the tortoise, slow and steady, persevering, kept on, kept on walking in spite of the sunset and all the tiredness. It never gave up and it came close to passing the rabbit and the rabbit was snoring under the tree and relaxing and the tortoise passed the rabbit and by the time the rabbit woke up and saw the tortoise was very near to the finishing line and he ran to the finishing line but sadly tortoise finished the race we know the story very well and what is the story about it teaches about perseverance persevere till the end persevere till the finishing line although you may be slow but keep going ahead and never be stagnant and never be too self-confident that you can make it you need to trust in the grace of the living God and this is what I would define what perseverance is because if you listen to the entire sermon and then come and ask me brother Stephen what is perseverance by the way you spoke for one hour it's a very humiliating thing to me so I would love to define what perseverance is perseverance is being persistent in doing something despite difficulty until we reach the goal perseverance is being persistent in doing something despite difficulty until you reach the goal and that's the difference between those who fail and those who succeed it is perseverance and very few people have perseverance in this hasty lack of patience generation we have seen in the last week about uh, the apostasy and how the beginning is not the end and there is a sobering warning that the author gives to his readers we have seen how he spoke about those people after being enlightened after tasting the goodness of the word of god after partaking in the heavenly gift and the holy spirit and after experiencing the powers of the age if they fall back they will be in irreversible condition and there is a challenge to grow up towards maturity and not get stuck in the elementary things we have been warned by the word of god in this matter and as we have been looking at throughout the book of hebrews there are times of warning and then the times of comfort there are times of exhortation and again times of encouragement and after giving this strong warning the author now gives words of comfort and encouragement in this passage and this is how he begins and writes to his readers who were really shaken because of the trials that they were experiencing and the author gives them encouragement hold on persevere keep going don't be shaken by what you're facing and in verse 9 this is how he begins though we speak in this way in what way in the way that i have spoken before about those people who having been enlightened fall away into irreversible condition although i am speaking this negativity pessimistic situation that these people go through he says that but in your case you believers in your case and he uses the only time in the entire epistle of hebrews in 13 chapters the word beloved this is the only time you will see in the entire epistle he uses a very endearing term yet in your case beloved 
Dearly loved people of God, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. We don't believe that this is your state. We don't believe that this is your destiny, this irreversible condition. We don't believe. We believe that you will experience better things, that you have better things, things that belong to salvation, which means that the situation that these people have faced before, they don't belong to salvation. These are not the signs of salvation. And what belongs to salvation is perseverance. This is the sign of the true people of God. I love even uh, the paraphrased translation, the living Bible of Hebrews chapter 6 verse 9. Hear this, how he puts that into more diluted language without distorting the meaning. It speaks the same thing in more loose and better words. Dear friends, even though I am talking like this, I really don't believe that what I am saying applies to you. I am confident you are producing the good fruit that comes along with your salvation. Salvation always bears fruit. Salvation always has results. Salvation always brings out some actions and it is not unfruitful, it is not barren. Although the fruit and the evidence and the things that we see after salvation doesn't cause people to be saved. We are saved only by the grace of God. But those who are genuinely saved manifest some signs that we see in this passage. So what are the things that belong to salvation that the author is speaking about here? The first lesson that we can learn from this passage is that those who are genuinely saved, they will be persevering to serve God's people. They will be persevering to serve God's people. I believe you all know what the great commandment is all about, right? And we should understand that the great commandment can only be fulfilled by those who are saved by the grace of God. A lot of people, when they hear about the first commandment and the great commandment, they think that I need to put into practice. No, no one loves God without being transformed by the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without Christ, without gospel, we are all self-lovers. We don't fear God. We don't obey God. We hate the ways of God. But when a person's life is transformed by the power of the gospel, this will result. This will be the burning passion. And what is a passion? The passion is what the Lord Jesus said in Mark chapter 12 verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strengths. When a person who is born again is born in love for God which he did not have before he was saved by the grace of God. But what is one great evidence that a person really loves God? What is one great evidence that a person really loves God? 1 John chapter 5 verse 1 says here, Everyone, shall we all read this together? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Do you see here? Everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that He died for the sins of people and rose from the dead, they will be born of God. And what is the evidence 
That a person is born of God. It says here that he who is born of God will love those believers who are also born of God. They not only become the children of God, they become siblings in the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Hebrews 6 is echoing after he mentions the things that belong to salvation. Hear this, what it says. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. The word here is very important when it says that the love you have shown for his name. Observe the word shown. Love is something that is seen. It is not something that is unseen. I don't know whether you, loves me, you love me or not. I don't see any signs and evidence. But maybe you love me. I don't see any sign of it. No, that is not love. The Bible says that God so loved the world. And what was the sign of it? That he gave his only begotten son. Love manifests. Love is demonstrable. Love is visible. Love is seen. And this is how they have shown their love for God. What does it say here? It says here that they have shown the love for God in serving the saints. Now we need to understand here that this is no commandment here. You know when we interpret the Bible, uh, we teach people that there are two things that you need to be conscious about. One is indicative, the other is imperative. Indicatives are just declaring. They are not telling you to do something imperatives they command now this is not imperative it is indicative and what does it say it says here that you have shown your love for the name of god in serving the saints they were already doing this and the author was very much impressed with this and and the word that is used here is in serving the saints now I know that the Roman Catholic Church has distorted the concept of saints. We think that these saints are those who are highly lofty, sacred people from the ordinary people of God. But according to the Bible, saints are not those people who are lofty, sacred people apart from the ordinary people of God. According to God's word, all God's people are the saints of God. They are set apart for God. And what these people were doing, it says that they served the saints of God. Now, the root word in Greek of the term that is used here is diakonos, from where the word ministry has come. Uh, these days I'm teaching some of the brothers uh, in the church on ministry, a biblical perspective. And when anyone says that I am in ministry... People think that only few people are called to ministry. The rest of the people are called only to enjoy the ministry that these few people are called to. And I was going one scripture after the other, showing to them that every Christian who is born of God has been born to do ministry to others. It's not just the pastors who are called to ministry. Every believer has been called to do ministry. And this scripture is one of the evidence that speaks about that all God's people are called to serve God's people. It's not the unbelievers that is mentioned here. Although unbelievers require our ministry. It says that more than unbelievers, it is the believers who are the target of the ministry. 
and we pour our lives into them and what is ministry here when the bible says that serving god saints we need to understand that anything anything that you do for the welfare of god's people is your ministry to them anything that you do for the welfare of god's people is your ministry to them and one of the things that they have done in the epistle itself we see that how that they have shown the love of god to the saints of god we see that in hebrews chapter 10 verse 32 to 34 hebrews 10 32 to 34 it says but recall the former days when after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated we see here that they believed in the lord jesus christ and they suffered becoming a christian is not a life of prosperity it is a life of adversity becoming a christian is not a life of enjoying the comforts of the world but facing hard times in your life and that is what we see these people were doing and what did they do in their suffering they were sitting in isolation in self in self pity patting their back oh my soul get comforted for you are going through so much of suffering after you believe in christ that's not what they have done you see immediately in their intense suffering what were they doing for you had compassion on those in prison you yourself have been going through prison and what were you doing you were comforting and having compassion on the afflicted and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better position and an abiding one what a grand testimony it is he again remember that it doesn't say anything there is no imperative here it is indicative here about what these people were doing as believers of christ as they were going through suffering prison trials tribulations they were not in self pity but they were reaching out to those who were suffering like them and in this way they have shown their love for god now here is what we need to understand a principle here those who serve god's people show their love for god many of us think that love for god is only about lifting up your hands and praising him when you sing songs which is good which is one of the expressions but if you don't serve god's people that is not a sign that you love god loving god is manifested in the way you love god's people now here is a very important statement that i am making and i would love you to repeat with me after i say this you cannot genuinely love god's people please repeat unless you love god and you cannot stop yourself from loving god god's people uh, i'm sorry i'm sorry and you cannot stop yourself from loving god's people when you love god i don't know whether you got it it says very clearly here that you cannot love god's people without loving god no one can genuinely love god's people without loving god and if you love god you cannot stop yourself from loving god's people it is inseparable you know when i think when i was thinking about this i see that people love others because of two reasons 
They love others because of two reasons. And we need to examine ourselves. If we love, why do we love? Some people love because they are loved or want love. I love because, oh, this person loves me very much. Therefore, out of gratitude, I love, which is good. And some people love because maybe I will get back love. Because love is reciprocal. I will get back. But that's not the right motivation, people. Here we see that there are few people who love God, because, who love people, because they know that in loving God's people, they are touching the apple of God's eye. Because God loves His church. He bought the church by His blood. The church is the apple of His eye, the heart of God. When Paul was persecuting the church, he didn't say that, Hey, why are you persecuting my people? You know what did he say? Why are you persecuting me? If you touch my body, you are touching me. If you are touching and doing any harm to my body, you are touching me in the same way. If you love my body, you are loving me. If you are serving my body, you are serving me. If you are caring for my people, you are honoring my name. No one can genuinely love God without loving God's people. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this question. A very important question. If you are loving, why do you love? Is it your expression for His name? Or do you do that because of some reasons, ulterior reasons. If you claim yourself to be a Christian, how are you loving God? What is the evidence of it? Think about it. And if you're not doing that, I encourage you, fulfill the Great Commission. If you are a born-again believer, love God by loving God's people. And you know what is the very good encouragement that we see here? It's not that they were doing they were loving once upon a time and now they have become cold. Even that's not the case of them. He says here that in Hebrews 6.10, he says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. Now observe how he ends. As you still do. Their trials and afflictions did not discourage them from serving God's people. You know that it's very easy to be excited to love and serve people when you are enjoying the comforts of life, when you are enjoying uh, so many blessings that you want in life. But when you yourself are going through some discouragement and trials and afflictions, the focus will be more on self rather than on people. But here we see that they were continuing to love God by serving God's people. So if there is something that we can be encouraged by these readers, look at them, my dear brothers and sisters, and be encouraged. The best encouragement that you can give to others is when you are discouraged. The best comfort that you can give to others is when you go through affliction. The best reviving words of life that you can give to others is when you go through severe pain in your life. In fact, I remember what C.S. Lewis says that he who is never heard doesn't know how to comfort those who are hurt. The people who go through pain are the best people to comfort others who are going through pain. And that's one of the reasons God allows suffering in our lives. So that we know the pain of it and know how to comfort others who go through pain. 
and we see that they did not give up serving god's people in their afflictions no matter what was happening in their lives they were still serving god's people and in this way they expressed their love for god this reminds us of what paul wrote to the galatians also in galatians chapter 6 verse 9 to 10 galatians chapter 6 verse 9 to 10 and let us not grow weary of doing good do you hear this don't give up serving people don't be self absorbed thinking about your own career your own family your own miseries please don't be self absorbed it says do not be weary of doing good for in due season what will happen we will reap what you sow you reap if you do not give up observe that if we do not give up persevere 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 do not be discouraged do not be weary press on press on keep doing what you are doing and do it even more so then as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone especially to those who are of the household of faith and as a shepherd you know i want to tell that some of the people in the church here are so active in loving and serving god saints and i'm telling you god is pleased with you god takes delight in you god is so much impressed with what you are doing in showing your love for his name and to those who are just coming to the services and meetings of the church but you're not engaged in people's lives not pouring your love and service to people i'm telling you that god is grieved by your selfishness and he encourages you this morning wake up show your love to me if you love me love my people you know there is something that is said here about the character of god the character of god and as i was pondering about this my mind went to the government contracts uh, and biddings that we see in the world today uh, to social organizations and they uh, give some biddings and say that if you do this we will pay you well and in one article that i was reading government contracts and non-profit organizations problems and solutions it's not easy actually when people are doing this ngo work and then uh, the charitable work hoping that government will pay them and this is one complaint that people have expressed and this is the condition of uh, the united states of america and i believe it is even worse in india but imagine this is in states and how much worse the corruption is here it says nationwide 25% of non-profits said that that is ngos said that they have a small problem and 44% of ngos non-profit organizations who are involved in doing charitable work said that they have a big problem with government contracts where the government has failed to pay the full cost of the contracted service the urban institute study reports they promised that you do this and we will pay you and they were giving contracts to these ngos and when these people took it seriously and poured their lives in serving people and doing charitable works and when it came to payment 44% complained that government doesn't pay us what they promised and it's a great discouragement to them but you know what is encouragement for us here brothers and sisters from hebrews 6 verse 10 observe what it says here for god is not unjust so as to overlook your work you know the word unjust is used actually in luke chapter 18 when the widow woman 
came to the king and she requested him to do justice to her. But this king did not fear God. He didn't love people, didn't care about people. You know what the Lord Jesus said? He said in Luke chapter 18 verses 4 to 6 that while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous, in Greek is a dikos, judge says. This is a wicked, unjust king. He thinks about how can I do justice because of the persistence of this woman. The same root word is what we find in Hebrews 6.10. When the Lord Jesus said here that, for God is not unjust adikia. God is not like the king that you see there in the past. Unrighteous, unjust. He is not so as to overlook your work. Now here is a very important encouragement for us, my dear brothers and sisters. And something that speaks about the character of God here. Which is not like the governments of the nations. To overlook what you do for God's people to overlook what you do for God's people or not to reward you for what you do for God's people is a matter of flaw in the character of God. Wow. God cannot be God if he cannot reward you for what you are doing for his people. God cannot be holy and righteous and just if he doesn't reward you for what you are doing for his church. It is an issue of God's character. And God is not unjust so as to overlook, ignore. People may ignore. Your shepherds may ignore. The deacons may ignore. The mentors may ignore. The other members may ignore. But the one whose eyes is on every person on the face of the earth, whose eye is omniscient. He is looking at you and he knows you and he knows what to do with what you are doing. God watches over your service to his people. God takes delight in your service to his people. God remembers everything, everything. Even you may forget what you have done to his people. Sometimes I see people come to me and say that, Anna, on that day you did something. When did I do it? I forget it. I don't know. But we may forget what you have done. But God records everything that you are doing for his people and he rewards your service that you are doing for his people. If not now, but definitely on the last day. If not now, but definitely on the last day. And if you are not doing anything for God's people, the scripture pities on you. <laughs> that you are wasting your life, only absorbed in your job or business or your family or your own problems. Not thinking about how I can reach out and be a blessing to the people of God. Remember when we look at this, God's faithfulness should be a great motivation for us to persevere in serving God's people. Your love for God and God will not overlook your good work should be a great motivation, brothers and sisters. And if your focus is not on loving God, your focus is not on the character of God, that God will not overlook, you don't have healthy motivation to persevere in serving God's people. Who God is, 
is a great, great encouragement to us to do what we want to do for his name in serving God's people. And not only that, he continues to say that this is what they have been doing and now he comes, now this is what they should be doing. And what do we do? One of the signs of salvation or one of the greatest evidence of perseverance. We not only persevere to serve God's people, and this is a very important thing, we persevere to trust in God's faithfulness. A Christian who grows, a person who is born again and grows in his spiritual life will be exposed more to God's faithfulness and his faith will increase in God's faithfulness as a result of it. Here what it says in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 11. And he says here that after mentioning that God is not unjust to overlook your work. And he commends them for loving and serving God's people. And he encourages them to. Uh, and he acknowledges that uh, they are still continuing to do. And he says now. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full, full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish. But imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Now you see how he begins right after acknowledging their service to God's people. He says here that, and we desire. Now this desire is no mere feeling. It's a strong passion. What the author is saying here is that we are passionate to see each of you is acknowledging every member who is reading this letter, I want each one of you, we want each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Now what is he saying? It's very, it's very interesting what he says here because this is not what we find in many God's people. He says that the earnestness that you have to serve God's people, the earnestness that you are showing to pour your life in God's people, you show the same earnestness in your perseverance, in trusting God's faithfulness and promises. Show the same passion, extend it to this, which is very important. When, and, and he uses a word actually which is very interesting is that in earnest servings, he says that the, the two kind of word he uses. First he uses the word earnestness and then he uses the word perseverance. Now when I look at this, I see that there are two problems that we see in the modern day generation. We see that there are people who are good in doing practical ministry, like these Hebrews. But they are poor in doctrine. <laughs> they are dull in hearing, as we see that. Just right before the words that we have seen, I have spoken to you last time that how they were dull in hearing, intellectually lazy, dull, dead in doctrine. They were not growing in the supreme knowledge of Jesus Christ. But they are very active in loving and doing charity. And doing charity and loving people is good. But that's not enough. Some of you maybe are very good in reaching out to others. Are very good in doing practical ministry. Are very good in doing service to others. But when it comes to doctrine, knowledge of the word of God, you are dull. And the Bible encourages that you cannot justify your ignorance of the word of God by your good works. You must strike the balance. That you are good in good works and also good in the doctrine. That's not an excuse for us. And there are people who are very good in doctrine. Very good in growing in the knowledge of the word of God. But poor in practical ministry. 
And there is also an encouragement for us here that don't just stuck to books, stuck to reading doctrine, stuck to just growing in the knowledge. Come out of it also and love people. Serve God's people. Because if you have knowledge without love, it is dead. God is not pleased with that. We all must be, now hear this carefully, maybe you all can repeat with me. We, we all must be good in practical ministry, sound in doctrine, and persevere in hope till the end. This is a balanced understanding that we learn from the word of God. And, and, and he says here that what you should not be. You are very good in earnestness. I appreciate you people. God will not overlook. God blesses you. I praise God for your earnestness. But there is something in opposite to that. He says that don't be sluggish. Don't be lazy. Previously, we know that in 5.11, he says dull in hearing. And now he speaks about sluggishness. Now, people here is a very important thing that you need to observe. They were not hostile to the word. They were not against. Hostile means against. They were not against. They were not having hatred towards the word. They were not against the word. But you know what they were? Sluggish. And that is even dangerous like hostility. There are people who say that I don't like the word of God. I hate the ways of God. And they refuse to believe. But there are others who say that. Oh, I believe in the word of God. I believe everything that you preach. I believe whatever it is. But they live a sluggish life. Lazy life. They can't hear. They can't comprehend. They go and go deeper. They don't grow up towards maturity. They are dull people. And that is what exactly he says here. That the earnestness that you have. Make sure that you are also diligent. In your perseverance of hope. Till the end. What he says is that. Sluggish is contrary to earnestness and efforts. And the same earnestness that you are doing in practical ministry, you be zealous and persevere and grow in the word and persevere in your faith. Because that's where they were shaken. What we understand here is that when it says that show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope, we understand that hope is the fuel for the Christian life to press on forward in spite of trials and temptations. There are people who are very good in doing that, but they don't have hope. How, we, how do you know? How do we know? The condition of the heart speaks about it. The condition of the heart speaks about it. And we find here that the author, what is he trying to do in all this thing? You know what is he trying to do in this letter? He was reviving the hope in people's heart. He was provoking People have hope. Don't be absorbed in the life situations. Look forward. Look ahead. Look beyond yourself. That's what it is. Hope is not looking in you. The more you look into your heart, the more you will be hopeless. The more you look beyond yourself to the Most High God, you will be filled with hope. And he says here, be diligent in hope. Feed your hope. Don't feed discouragement. Don't feed despair. Don't feed lukewarmness, passivity. Feed hope. Because without hope, you will go nowhere in Christian life. You go nowhere. You know, someone said that man can live about 40 days without food. He can live about 3 days without water. 
He can live about eight minutes without air, but he cannot live one second without hope. He cannot live one second without hope. And that's exactly Romans 12, 12 says about. You cannot do the rest of the two things. Do you know that? You cannot do the rest of the two things without the first thing. It says rejoice in hope. Patient in tribulation. Patient in affliction. Patient in suffering. And constant in prayer. It doesn't say that rejoice in tribulation because there is no joy in suffering. The suffering is, the joy is only in the hope. We don't take joy in sickness. We don't take joy in pain and crisis that we go through. It is the hope that gives us joy. If you as a Christian are not having the joy of the Lord, it is because you are looking to situations than to hope. Because it is hope that gives joy. And remember that without this hope, you cannot be patient in tribulation. You become restless. And without hope, you cannot be constant in prayer because you have no hope. So why do you pray? You have no hope. So why do you be patient in tribulation? It is hope that fuels the Christian soul to press on forward. So how do you, how can you have it? The author of Hebrews continues to say that what should you do then in order to have hope? What should he do? He says about here a beautiful encouragement he gives that in 6 to 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is what you should be doing. And you know that <clears throat> there are two things that he encourages people to have hope. Without this, you cannot have hope. The first thing is he speaks about the example to imitate. What is the example that you have? This is how he is feeding the hope. People, by looking at television, you will not become a person of hope. By looking constantly at your phones, you don't get hope. By spending time with people merely chatting, you won't get hope. You know, where do you get hope? You get hope by looking at these people that the author is speaking about or Look at the word of God and how it gives hope. And he speaks about the example to imitate. And the first thing he speaks about is God's promise. You know what he says here in 13, 14? It says that, now think about the imitators of faith. Now, immediately after talking about imitate, don't be sluggish, don't be lazy, don't be passive. In other words, you know, he says that don't expect miracle to happen just like that. This is the worst thing that I see in this generation today. When they go through some kind of difficulty, they say that, I'm waiting on the Lord and uh, some breakthrough will happen. Do you hear the word breakthrough? This is a very, uh, a very fancy word that we see here today. Some breakthrough will happen. Nothing will come if you don't get active in doing this. When he says that, when you're going through this, it is not what you need is breakthrough. You need to go through the breaks. And how do you do that? He says, think about the promise of God. He says that. Now think about it. If you want to have hope, think about who God is. It is not who you are that provokes you to have hope. It is who God is. And he says here, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Here he says that, think about the promise of God. Because hope is resting on the promise of God. Hope is not about the facts that you are experiencing currently. 
but the promise that you will be experiencing in the future and that is a reality the reason why we have become hopeless is because instead of looking at the future that will become the reality we look to the current situation and get discouraged and he says think about abraham the promise of god and what did abraham do he persevered in trusting in the promise of god and it says here in verse 15 it says that and thus abraham having patiently waited obtained the promise patiently he waited if he was impatient he wouldn't have experience obtain the promise of god he believed that god is faithful and he waited patiently and what is the promise that he obtained what god told him i will bless you and multiply you and you know when i was one thing that really astounds me about god faithfulness when he gives promise to people is that when when abraham saw isaac and his two grandchildren it was only a glimpse that he saw the fulfillment of the promise that god has given to him that i will give you the land i will make you the father of many nations i will bless you and multiply you you know one thing he did not see its complete fulfillment while he was still alive he didn't see that god might have just ignored it saying that abraham gone so why should i keep my promise that's how people do right is gone what's the point of keeping the promise no god is faithful you know it took more than 400 years for that promise to come to fulfillment where the nation of israel became like the sand in the seashore and they became like stars in the sky and they have gotten the promised land more than 400 years i think even after he was dead he was still patiently waiting for god to obtain the promise now here is a very good encouragement to us you know brothers and sisters who think about this what made abraham to wait patiently to obtain the promise what made abraham to wait patiently up to to obtain the promise you know what is it his faith in the promise and the faithfulness of god if he hadn't trusted the faithfulness of god he wouldn't have hope in the future if you and i are struggling to have hope the problem is not with hope it is with your understanding of how faithful god is your belief in the faithfulness of god drives you forward to wait patiently for the promise of god and later we see that hebrew the author of hebrews confirms that we see that in hebrews 11 17 to 19 hebrews 11 17 to 19 let's read this together by faith abraham when he was tested offered up isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through isaac shall your offspring be named he considered that god is able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back do you see that here god told that i'll give you isaac and now god tells that you give isaac as an offering and he must be wondering god is a god of contradiction he says that through isaac he will multiply and now he offers him as a sacrifice how can i trust him but you know what the scripture says even when it appeared to abraham that god is contradicting to his promise he believed that god was able to raise isaac from the dead even if he had offered him as an offering on the altar because god is faithful 
God is able and God will do what he promises. He never goes back. That is the promise. That is the faithfulness of God. And that is what the author is trying to encourage here. Look at Abraham. Consider, meditate on the faithfulness of God. You will only persevere in faith when you know the faithfulness of God. And he continues saying that, look at the nature of people here. Hebrews 6.16, he says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all the disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Isn't it? When people make a promise, they swear by something greater than themselves to assure that their promise will be fulfilled. And that's the reason we have phrases like, God promise. We say, right, God promise, I will do that. If you don't believe me, but you know, I'm taking the name of God, God promise. Or some people say, Amma Toru, mother promise. Mother is gone. That's the reason so many mothers are dying soon, I think. Why is he telling? He says that they take someone's name greater than themselves to assure that I will fulfill my promise. It is because people can be unfaithful. That's the reason they take the name of a greater person to assure that I will keep the promise. And even when you want to take a loan from bank, you know very well, right? They will not tell you, I trust you that you are a man of integrity, you will never go back from your word, we have complete faith in you, take whatever you want. Will they tell you? What is the surety? Someone should sign for you, or you should keep the land papers to you, only then they will give you something. And some people say they don't need anything, at least they will look for the security of your job. They need some evidence to believe that you will pay back. Now, when God promised, what is the assurance that he has that he will fulfill the promise? That's the argument that he's making. You know how God made it? He says here that it is the nature of God himself that is the basis for our trustworthiness in his promise. And he makes an argument in 6, 17 to 18. He says that, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. He did swear. He did make an oath along with the promise. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So what the argument that he's making is that since there is no one greater than God, God swear by himself and said that I will bless you and I will multiply you. When God says he will do, he will do it because his nature is unchangeable. It speaks about the immutable, unchangeable character of God. Now when the author is saying about two unchangeable things, what does it mean? Two unchangeable things. You know what is that? When we look into the context, the first thing is that he speaks about promise. What God says is the first unchangeable thing. He will never go back. Just as the rain that falls from the sky falls on the ground, when God speaks, he makes sure that it fulfills. And second is oaths. The promise and the oaths. What is oath here? By something you swear to assure the promise. You make the promise and you make an oath assuring that he will fulfill the promise. So he says that God promised to Abraham that he would bless him and multiply him. And the second is that God made the oath by himself. He himself is enough. To show his faithfulness. My question to you is, think about this. Who is the ultimate standard of greatness? 
Come on, say that loud. Who is the ultimate standard of greatness? Who is the ultimate standard of holiness? Who is the ultimate standard of love? Who is the ultimate standard of truthfulness? Who is the ultimate standard of faithfulness? And that's the reason God has made that promise by himself. And by two unchangeable things. That is the promise he made. And the oath that he made by himself. It says here that it is impossible for God to lie. Who is having this testimony here? Anyone here? I know this person, he doesn't lie. <laughs> he is a man of truth, but God is having. Shall we all say this? It is impossible, impossible. for God to, lie. God to lie. What does it mean here? It means that God cannot fail to keep his promises. No, he doesn't. God cannot lie or change his character and purposes. No, God is faithful to keep his word. He is not like man. In fact, when I was thinking about this this morning, my mind went to Numbers 23 verse 19, where it speaks about the nature of man and the nature of God. And you know what is the nature of man and God? The Bible tells you that God is not man that he should lie. What does it speak about us? That we are liars. But that shouldn't be the testimony of the born again people. Because we are the imitators of God. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Children know very well, right? How their papa or mummy keep changing their minds about saying something. No, he doesn't change. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he promised and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not be fulfilled? No way. What God says, he's faithful. What God promises, he fulfills it. Even if you die, Hundreds of years later also, when God promises, he, he is faithful. Because if he doesn't do it, he cannot be God. It's an issue of God's character. And you see that in the same letter, he again encourages in Hebrews 10.23. One of the persons actually read this during individual worship. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What is the basis for not wavering? What is the basis for you to stick to your hope of confession? What is the basis? See the reason that he gives. For he who promised is faithful. <laughs> he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. Grudem says God's faithfulness means God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. He never ever goes back. So my dear brothers and sisters, be encouraged this morning. Allow the word of God to fuel your hope. Don't look at the situation that you are now. You will be wavering. Look to the hope. And that is what the final conclusion that it gives. Which brings me to the third lesson. In persevering in faith till the end. And how do you know that you are at the end? When you inherit the promise. Now, what is the hope that he's speaking about? What is Christian hope? I would love to show you from the same book, what is Christian hope? What hope is he speaking about? What encouragement is he giving to persevere in that hope till the end? How do you stick to the hope? What is the hope? Is it that you get, you get well from your sickness? Is it the hope that your money will come that you have lost? Or job will come that you have lost? 
or the people who rejected you hurt you will be uh, restored in the relationship is he speaking about the earthly blessings of the hope no it could, it may happen but most sure assuredly this is what every person who believes in the lord jesus will face hebrews 11:6 shall we all read this together but as it is they desire a better country that is a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared for them a city and that city's name is not hyderabad it is a heavenly city you may be some of us may be bragging about i have this property or that property gone nothing will be there you will be gone after that the world will be gone so it is good to have it but don't trust in that and don't brag about it so much and those who do not have their own property oh my goodness you have not lost your soul it's okay it's okay you don't have to get it in surmountable debts in order to prove that hey do you know i have some plot in the city you don't have to if you get it god blesses you praise god but remember that there is assuredly a city that god has prepared for all his beloved ones and that is not here that is in the future and that is a hope that we have you know that uh, some of the sisters are going through pregnancy and some of the sisters have already gone through that and today they are relieved because they have the ch- child born into their into their hands and you know very well i was not there in the delivery room but i have seen some movies and this is what they do and that is that when they go through that 9 months of pregnancy and when the time comes for delivery and what would the nurse do come on press on press on the baby is near for delivery don't give up don't be discouraged come on in villages they are even more blunt isn't it they say press on press on and delivery is near the child is about to be born don't be discouraged don't give up you know that's exactly what is doing the author is saying here man your life is not an end and what you are going through is not the end and eternity that is not there is hope for us there is faithfulness of god before us heavenly city is waiting for us so press on persevere don't give up don't be discouraged and let me just read for you in the same passage oh he is so focused on hope he says in hebrews 36 but christ is faithful over god's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope don't boast about what you have here boast about your hope that's the greatest boasting 611 and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end the end is important hebrews 68 618 so that by two unchangeable things by which it is impossible for god to lie we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement so that we can hold fast to the hope that is set before us you know what is he speaking about he says about so that you can have strong encouragement how do you have strong encouragement that he's speaking about he says that the strong encouragement that you and i have is the trustworthy character of god <laughs> that god promises and god promises by himself and it is impossible for god to lie it is impossible for god to lie people may say you are fools that you have hope live for the day today who has seen heaven who has seen hell i remember one person asked me that did you see heaven did you see hell what if everything you have believed turned out to be false what would happen 
I said that, I would be not at all at loss. If everything that I believe is proven false, I would not be at loss at all. But what if everything that I believe is true, what would happen to you? We believe that what God says is true and what God promises is true. And that's why the author of Hebrews says here, Hebrews 10, 35 to 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Put your name in that. Stephen, don't throw your confidence. Benjamin, don't throw your confidence. Swapna, don't throw your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. Endure. Don't seek for escapism. Endure. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And until then, don't give up. Don't come to any conclusion based on what you are going through now. Only heaven testifies your ultimate end, not your present situation. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It is heaven that testifies your ultimate end, not your present situation. And he uses the word, you know, this hope. You know what is that? He says that this hope, as we have heard from Prem saying that, and I love this explanation, is the anchor. And what is the anchor? We know that it's a device that is used for ships to go deep into the seedbed so that when it parks in the water, it will not be drifting by the waves of the sea. It holds form the ship in the water when it is parked and it will not be wavering. And he says here that this hope, not trusting in people, not your situation, he says that we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And what is that hope? He says a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. People, if you don't have hope, you will be wavering in your Christian life. If your hope is people, you will be topsy-turvy, up and down. If your hope is your job, if your hope is your personal security, if your hope is your people, you will just be wavering. The reason why we waver is because why we are tossed here and there by every wind of temptation and trial is because Christ is not our steady and sure anchor. And what is that hope that he's speaking about? He says that the hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now this is a figurative language and he's speaking to Hebrews. They know what is inner place. There is an outer place. There is a holy place. And beyond the holy place is the holy of holies. The inner place where God's fullest presence is manifested. Figuratively speaking, he says here that the hope is that we have is that we will enter into the full-blown presence of God in the coming kingdom for which we are praying, for which the Lord has taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is a hope for us. You know, the author of Hebrews is using different terms in order for us to understand what heaven is. For example, in 2.3 he says salvation. In 4.1 he says God's rest. In 9.15 he says eternal inheritance. In 10.34 he says a better position and an abiding one. In 11.16 he says heavenly city. In 13.14 he says lasting city. And in 6.20 he says, just now we read, inner place. The holy of holies. And you know what he says here? He says here that this hope is a sure and steady anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the eternal inner place behind the curtain. That is 
I love what Steve Cole says here. The certain hope of our future salvation is an anchor to steady our souls while we wait on God in present storms. When we go through sickness, when we go through losses, when we go through discouragement, whatever odd things are against us, the only thing that helps us to persevere in our hope till the end is that God is faithful and what he promised will come to fulfillment. And thus he finishes his final words in this chapter with these words in 19 and 20. After he mentions about the inner place behind the curtain, that is a place that we are all longing for. And that is a place we all go to if you are saved. And he says that. Now, you know what is encouragement? If you are doubting whether you would go or not, you are wondering whether I would go there or not, here this he says. Where Jesus himself has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, becoming a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He says two encouragement. First he speaks about two encouragement before. God's promise, God's oath. God gave the promise and he swear by himself. He, the unchangeable character of God. And now he speaks about Jesus. Two things he has done. You know it says that forerunner. You know what is forerunner? He went before us. He went before us. And the Bible says very clearly that after he died for our sins, he rose from the dead. And he went to heaven. He went before us. And the Bible not only says that he went before us, he went on behalf of us. Which is very encouraging, it says here that. He went on behalf of us. What does it mean? You can only be there because I am there. <laughs> you cannot be there by yourself. I am the reason for your hope. I am the reason for your salvation. I am the reason for heaven. Apart from me, no one can enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 1, very chapter 1, 3 says the same thing, that after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Any person who is in the bondage of sin cannot go to the inner place, cannot have hope, cannot go to heaven. No. In order for us to go to heaven, he went there on behalf of us, which means that he died for our sins. He took our sins upon himself, our curse upon himself, our punishment upon himself, and he died and he rose from the dead and he went there and he says, now you come here and I'm waiting for you. Wow, what a great encouragement that we have. You know, Christ himself said it in the gospel of John 14, 1 to 3. You know what he says? See the words of life here, people. He himself has said, not only the author of Hebrews, he says that, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Do you believe these words, people? Do you believe these words? He said, I went on your behalf. I went before you on your behalf so that you can be fully assured beyond doubt that heaven is for you, God's rest is for you, the eternal inheritance is for you, it is unchangeable, unshakable, it is definitely will be fulfilled. Do you have hope? That are you waiting? Am I waiting? Come, O Lord, Maranatha. Come, O Lord, 
Come, I'm sick and tired with the battle with sin. I'm sick and tired with the trials and tribulations I'm going through. Come, O Lord, come, O Lord, come, O Lord, and take me to be with you forever and ever and ever. Every true Christian has this cry. You know, an older Christian was asked the secret of his very positive, triumphant attitude. What is it that you are so joyful despite the hard times that you go through? What is the secret of your joyful life? You know what he said? He said that, I have read the last book in the Bible and I know how the story ends. I am on the winning side. I read the last book. I know how it ends. I am on the winning side. So here is an invitation here. If anyone is over here, haven't repented of your sins, believed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who went ahead of you, who went on behalf of you, who purified for your sins, died on the cross and rose from the dead, I encourage you this afternoon, repent of your sins and trust in the Savior because the world with all its desires and positions will pass away, but the person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection will live forever and ever. No one will give you Despair, hopelessness, Christless destination, but there is eternal life awaiting for you if you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. And those who believed in the Lord Jesus here, cheer up. We have seen persevere in serving God's people. Don't give up. Don't be weary of doing good. Persevere to trust in God's promises. Read about God. Knowing yourself is not the answer. Knowing who God is is the answer. Know God, exalt Him, love Him, serve Him, obey Him, submit to Him. Go deeper in who He is. And you would see how your trust will be in the promises of God. And I encourage you believers, persevere in your faith till the end. Don't come to any conclusion here based on what is happening to you. Heaven is the final say, not the earth. And until then, persevere in your faith till the end. And you know finally how he concludes here? Now, this has put us in trouble, many people. He says that, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The question comes, how is Christ our high priest? Why is he called our high priest? How is Christ our eternal high priest? Because he says that, having a high priest forever, who is this Melchizedek? How did Christ become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek? The next sermon speaks about it. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful time you have given us. Oh, we thank you for your word. If not for your word, what would have happened to us, O oh Lord? We think about some religious people in the world. They don't have the light to their eyes. They don't have a lamp to their feet. They don't have the guide for their lives. They just live by feelings, philosophies, psychology, and how despair their life is. But how blessed are we? That we have the word of the living God. It is breathed out by God. And it has been given to us for teaching, reproving, correcting, training us in righteousness. So that we can have hope. So that we can be devoted to good works. Oh, we thank you for your words of life. Lord, more than watching television, more than watching entertainment, more than watching phones, Lord, more than spending time with people, may we constantly put ourselves before the mirror of God's word. Your mirror of God's word is the one that shows who we are. It also reveals who you are and it also gives us a hope for which we need to long for and persevere till the end. 
Lord, you know the unsaved here and pray for their salvation. Pray that they would come to the living hope in Christ and may they not harden their hearts. May they not be blinded in their eyes. May they come out of that hardness and blindness, repent of their sins and believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ which gives them hope. And all the saints here, Lord, may they not be discouraged or weary or give up, but let them press on for Christ has gone ahead of us on behalf of us and he's coming to take us to be with him forever and ever and until then until then until then may we persevere and not be among those who shrink back not be among those who go back into irreversible condition not be those people who are weary not people who have no hope but be the people who are full of hope full of joy full of vigor full of focus only because Christ is our sure anchor. And apart from him, we are nothing, can do nothing, and go nowhere in our life. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, O Lord, who is the author and finisher of our faith. We commit ourselves to you, and we pray for your preservation of our souls and for our perseverance of faith till the end. In the name of our crucified Lord, resurrected Lord, coming King, the Christ who will definitely come. And we are all waiting for him. And in the name of that coming king, we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com I repeat c-s-t-e-b-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at gmail.com gmail.com Grace and peace be to you.